Okay, first thing, um, Susie had mentioned that she's doing uh, some singing, some classes or to teach about the songs that since we're in the book of James, um, she's doing some some songs at 945 in the morning on Sunday so that people could learn them and sing them. So she wanted me to kind of bring that up to, to everybody's attention. So if anybody wants to come, it's at 945 Sunday morning to learn songs about through the book of James. Um, I don't see Susie, but hopefully that's what she was all she was saying. Um, Dave and Amanda had their baby. I, I don't know if everybody heard, but um, Dave and Amanda had their baby, so thank God for that. And I guess they're at home now. Um, don't know for sure. But um, let's just pray for them. God, we just ask that you be with them in this time, that you bless them. Bring them mercy and understanding. Let them, let them follow your ways and raise this child in a godly way. Through this experience, I ask that you show yourself to them and everything that they go through to bring you closer to them through this. In the name of Jesus, amen. Um, okay. So we're in uh, James. Uh, Nate started last week, did James 1 through 8. I'm going to be taking 9 through 15. <clears throat> Um, I'm going to be more kind of just reading scripture. I broke it down into three sections. I'm not going to be doing probably as much preaching today. I'll probably just kind of try to be hitting the scriptures um, and let the scriptures try to dictate some points in what what's being said. I don't know if that's on too. So... Let's start here. We're going to be, let's go ahead and just read through it. I'm going to wear some glasses here. Take my notes. Okay. Verse 1, James 1, 9. We're going to go through 15. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as the flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen... With a burning heat, then it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beauty, beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptations, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Okay. So, I'm going to hit 9 through 11 real quick. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. So what I believe that means in that section is, is in this life, the lowly brother glory in his exaltation. No matter what you have in this life, no matter how things are going for you in this life, glory in the fact that greatness is to come at the end of this life. So let the lowly brother glory in exaltation because what's coming for him is great greatness that he will be entering into. But let the rich man in his humiliation, but let the rich in his humiliation. Because see, as, as, as the rich in everything that you have in this world is going to pass away. So there's the humiliation that the rich should have in this life because everything you've worked for, everything you've done is going to be gone. You're not going to be able to take it. You don't keep it. It's gone. It's, it's gone to the next person, whoever it's handed down to from everything you've built on this earth. Once the end of this life comes, it's over. It, it, it goes away. So the reality is the spiritual things 
are what are of value. The things that we are receiving, the eternal kingdom, that's the value. That's the exaltation that we should be looking forward to. So I think in these, in these three passages, for no sooner, verse 11, for no sooner has the sun risen with the burning heat than it wither, withers the grass, it flowers fall, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. So I think what that means is a lot of this section is basically humility. No matter what, if you're humble and you don't have much glory because what you're going to receive is great. And if you have much in this life, humble because it's only passing away. So we're all going to be coming into that place of what really matters because what's here is all going to pass away and that part doesn't matter. So in humility, whether you're lowly or have been exalted in this life, recognize it's all going away and we have something that's greater. Okay, verse 12. I've got four points in this one. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Okay, so I want to get into 1 Corinthians ten thirteen real quick. Now, I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptures, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to try to do anything. I'm going to try to lay out scriptures so that the scriptures can dictate what I'm what the points of these are, what it's saying. So in, in 1013. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So that first point is enduring temptation. We are to endure temptation. There's no temptation that's supposed to be overtaking us. He has made the escape. He's made the way. So there's nothing that we should be overcome by in a temptation. Okay. Approved. The second point approved. Remember, I'm just going to kind of run through these here and then we'll touch base because I want the scriptures to, to make the points. First Peter 1, 6 through 7. In this you greatly, greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more precious than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when our faith is tested, we're going through these testings. It's that word trial there is the same as testing, temptation, same type of word. But when we're going through this, this the point of what, when we go through this is purifying us to, to bring glory to God. So our life should be bringing glory through the things that we go through. So when we're tested and, and we come through and we've endured and we've came through, now that life being is glorifying God. And that's the point is to bring glory to God. In John 7, 18. He who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. In him there is no falsehood. So when we're approved and we've endured and now we're approved, we bring glory to God through our life. See, the Father is seeking those to bring glory to him. Our life is what Jesus has done, has, has given us the ability to live through him, to bring glory, to be the light, to shine unto the world, to bring glory to him as a life lived under Christ, under his spirit. I'm going to keep jumping through. We're going to go to uh, the part of the crown of life. And that's in Revelations. We're going to go to Revelations 2, 10. I know I'm flying through. So just try to retain a little bit of the points I'm trying to say, and we'll go through and we'll make it a little bit more clear. Um, hopefully. Okay, Revelations 2.10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Look, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison to test you, and you will suffer tribulation for 10 days. Be faithful until death, 
and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who overcomes will not be harmed by the second death. So we see some stipulations right there. Jesus is saying, be faithful unto death, even unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And he says, the overcomer is the one who won't be harmed by that second death. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 15.10. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise you have believed in vain. Okay, so that's a, that's a pretty big statement right there. So what we're going to be trying to do with the scriptures is we're going to try to dissect and look at the fact of what what verse 12 is really saying and let the word dictate what it's talking about. Because if we see in 1 Corinthians right there, it talks about if you hold firmly to the word I preached. Then you will be saved, but otherwise you believed in vain. And that's what I don't want to have. I don't want to have the situations where we're in this place and we're believing things that are in vain. It's not just things in vain. You've believed in Christ in vain. It will do you no good. So this road is a narrow road. And I want to carve away the road that we think that we have the width of road to to travel on that we're safe in. But we're really not according to Scripture. So I want scripture to show us where we're safe to walk and what this fine line, because he says the way is narrow and very few find it. So I want to see through scripture. What is this narrow road? What are these things? What is it calling us to? Because in James right here, this little section that he talks about to understand verse 12, we have to understand what it means to to endure temptation It doesn't mean that we have the ability to just say, well, we're always going to be sinners. Thank God for his his grace that covered us. That's not that's not what this is saying. Saying we have to endure it. We have to overcome. We have to be approved. And for the purpose of being glory, bringing glory to God. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will rise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites, and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command. So God, through Moses, was telling them, I'm going to send you one like me. I'm a prophet, but I'm going to send God's going to send another one that's like me, but different. And he's going to tell you everything that God commands. That's what Jesus is going to do. And then look at in John 12, 50. Says, and I know that his command, this is Jesus talking. I know that his command is eternal life. Therefore, I speak exactly what the Father has told me to say. See, Jesus says God's command is eternal life. See, we've turned in to believing in Jesus for a ticket to heaven. We think heaven's eternal life. To know the Father is eternal life. And so that's what I want to keep, keep, let these things show through scripture is what is eternal life? What is these things that we're looking at? What are we called to? What, what does this mean when he's saying these things? Because there's stipulations in this thing. Okay, I'm going to jump to the fourth point, which is to those who love him. So it says, I'm going to read 12 again. Blessed is the man who endures temptation for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Now, pretty sure everybody in here, if you said, do you love God? I don't think anybody in here would say, I don't. We're all going to say yes. So, and I agree, but we die from lack of knowledge. And I want to say and I want to bring up the scriptures and point us out for what scriptures say, whether you love God or not. So let's look at what scriptures say of how we know we love God, because we can say we love God. 
But does the scriptures, do, does our belief and our, the way we think line up with scriptures? Or have we just believed in vain? Okay, John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my father. And I will love him and reveal myself to him. Okay, so right there you can see right off the bat. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Jesus said, I know that his command is eternal life. So who has his commandments and keeps them? This is the one who loves me. John 14, 23. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My father will love him and I will come to him and make our home with him. You see it again. If you love me, you keep my word. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. Just as Christ remained in the father's love, we can also by keeping his commandments. We don't do this on our own efforts. It's the spirit that he's given us. It's the grace that he's given us that we have the ability to now walk this thing out of what he's called. He hasn't called us to keep his commandments and go, eh, you know, they really can't, but I'm going to call them to anyway. No, he's given us the way. I don't know if I gave you some of these notes, but John 2, 3, it should be 1 John 2, 3. By this, we can be sure that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. 2, 4, if you say you know God and do not keep his commandments... You're a liar and the truth is not in you. Okay, so these are a lot of strong scriptures, really, when you think about it. Because we we like to feel like we can just, I love God and it's just the way I am. It's let me have my own relationship with him. But God has given us, thank goodness, a light to the path to know whether we really are loving God, whether we really do know him. And how we can. Because without these things, if we think otherwise, other than this, we're deceived. This is the truth. John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life. This is Jesus talking. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you. The one and only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this is eternal life, to know God. To know God is eternal life. 1 John 4, 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. What is love? Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy, does not boast, is not rude, is not self-seeking. Thank you, Teresa. That's sounding better. I think you're messing with. I had some echo in my head. It's like, whoa, that's messing me up, man. Um, I lost my spot. Where am I? I'll just go to it. It's not self-seeking. Is not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love takes no pleasure in evil, but rejoices in truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Endures all things. How many things can you come up into this life and go, oh, I'm going to be okay as long as this doesn't happen? Can you endure all things? You're not walking in love. Can you bear all things? How much is going to be put on you until you crack and break? Are you bearing all things? See, there's a place in God to walk where we're not just living out of ourselves and functioning and trying to bear the load. There's a place to be in him that you can bear all things because when you're in the spirit, living by the spirit, led by the spirit, you're not functioning in the flesh. 
You can bear all things. Because it's not going to have a burden upon you. The burden is on him. Do you take records of wrongs? She said this, that said, that happened over here. I can't believe they acted this way. Well, they did this. How, how could they think that? And why are they acting that way? You just, you're just responding out of the flesh. It has nothing to do with walking in love. Walking by the spirit of God that he's given us. To be able to do this thing. When, it's, when you have a problem with something, all it's showing you is that you're functioning out of yourself, out of a selfish desire of how it's affecting you. And it has nothing to do with love. Okay, James 1.12. We went through, blessed is a man who endures for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So we know what to love him means. It's not just, I have a fuzzy feeling about God and I like to sing to him and I get a tear in my eye once in a while. That's good. But don't walk away from the scripture of what it's called you to that really is the bottom line of loving God. It costs your life in this world to submit and break it, throw it down, be crucified, dead so that you can live by the spirit and truly love him and obey him. Because he says, you're my friend if you do whatever I command. He didn't say you're just my friend because he believed in me. He says you're, you're my friend if you do what I say. These might seem strong. It might seem harsh. I don't know how it's coming off. But what it's going to end up doing. If you see this stuff. It's going to take away the ground that shakes. Your ground. If you're going through this life. And you're shaken by circumstances. By the things that you're going through. Through relationships. Through work. Through these trials and tribulations. That we all will go through. If you're shaken through them, it's because your foundation is not solid. There's something maybe in your belief system. There's something in how you're functioning and not recognizing that you're living thinking it's normal, but your ground is shaking. When your ground is shaking, it's because you're standing on something other than just the rock. And when you stand upon the rock alone and get rid of everything else, your foundation is solid. And it doesn't shake. And you can do all things in Christ who strengthens you. James 1, 13 through 15. And although this is the part we were talking about, we're coming up to from Bible study. Let no one say when he is tempted that I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Okay, so two points in this. God tempting sin that produces death. So God doesn't tempt. He's not tempted by evil and he does not tempt. This is true, obviously. But God can and does lead us into temptations. I'll give you an example. Jesus was baptized. And as soon as he was baptized, the spirit came upon him and he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. Um, think of the father's of the prayer. He teaches us our father who art in heaven. Holy is your name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation. 
but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. God can lead us into temptation. Temptation, you see in this, Nate preached on it the first week. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials and temptations, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. Patience. So you see there's a purpose when we're going through these things. It's to produce something in us. It's to purify us out of these things. It's for a purpose. Jesus was led into the, desert, into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil for a purpose. God's not going to give us more than we can handle. So when we're led into these things, he's made the way and escape. That's why it shouldn't be, well, you know, brother, we're always just going to sin. We're always just going to be that way. It's just how it is until we die. No, that's not it. There's no scripture that you're going to find that tells me we're always going to sin. It's not. It tells us completely the opposite, that we can do all things. By his grace, I am what I am. So in verse 14, but when each one is tempted, when he is drawn away by his evil desires, he's lured away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, produces death. Okay, so what, is, what does that look like? How, do, how does that work? What is, because he's talking to us. When, when we're tempted, we're drawn away. We're drawn away by our own desires. And when, we, when that desire has conceived in us, it, it's, it's hit us and it birthed that desire to where we sin. Now, how is that sin different than full-grown sin that produces death? Because full-grown sin in a Christian's life will produce death. There's no atonement for a place of willful sin in a Christian's life. If you have sin in your life that is not dealt with, you reside in death. There's no place for it. Jesus says that the atoning sacrifice does not provide covering for willfulness. A willful place of sin is not forgiven. You must repent and come out. So what does that look like? It looks like that thing has conceived in your heart. You fell to the sin and now you've committed it. But this doesn't, hasn't produced death yet. And the reason why is because what you do from this point is where it goes. Now from this point, do you turn and repent and go, God, forgive me and come back under his Lordship, denying of self, he says, that I've atoned for. You are forgiven in that place. But if you come in here and you fall to the sin, and then you stay in it, and now you're practicing that sin, that will produce death. You're outside of his atonement. See, I spoke a couple times ago about the defiant sin. It says, I, I forgive iniquity and sin, but I will not acquit the guilty. The guilt, the defiant sin is what he will not pardon. You cannot be in a defiant place of sinning against God and be okay. That's the sin that is full grown that produces death in our life. Hebrews 10.26 states that one pretty clear. If we deliberately recognize the language that it's speaking, if we deliberately go on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no further sacrifice for sin remains, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume all adversaries. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished who has trampled on the Son of God, profaned the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and insulted the Spirit of grace? That states that real hard and clear. If we deliberately go on sinning. So he didn't say if we stumbled in sin, 
That's that part where when it conceived, boom, you fill. But now when that thing is full grown, means you're practicing deliberately sinning. You're deliberately in bondage to your flesh on something. That thing will produce death in your life. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. How much more severely do you think one deserves to be punished? When we walk in a place, when we've fallen and we stay in a place of sin, we trample on the Son of God, profaning the blood of the covenant which sanctified us and insult the Spirit of grace. How does that insult the Spirit of grace? Because the Spirit of grace is the empowerment for you to walk a godly life. Where sin abounded, grace abounds much more. Doesn't mean it covered it. It means the power of sin that was in your life that owned you and you were a slave to has now been defeated by God's grace to give you the ability to walk in freedom from sin. It's the power to walk in godliness, to be free from sin, not covering it. Nate said a great statement, I think uh, two weeks ago, he opened up, sorry Nate if I butcher it, I'll try to get the gist of it, but he said, am I basically living my life kind of sloppily or kind of allowing things to kind of be in my life, counting on the grace of God to cover me? Can't remember exactly how you said it, Nate, but I mean that statement, when he said that, bam. How much do we allow, we just think we're going to be covered by the grace of God. When in reality, the very grace of God is the ability to walk free from the things of this life that once owned us. It's the power of God. That's why you'd insult the spirit of grace to turn around and be overcome by this thing. See, but to be done with sin, you will suffer in the flesh. You can't be done with sin and not suffer in the flesh. And that's by the grace of God and by the mercy of God. He just takes that thing away from you and he can do it, which is awesome. But in general, we will walk this thing out through suffering in the flesh to be done with sin. 1 John 3, 9 and 10. Anyone born of God refuses to practice sin. Okay, so these are great stipulations to recognize are we on the path with God do we know God are we walking with him because to know God is eternal life these are the things that keep us safe because this other way of functioning and thinking and believing outside of the scripture we'll walk on a broad narrow way and say praise God I believed and I, I'm saved but we b- might have believed in vain I don't want that for us because when we stay on this straight and narrow path, life becomes different. We're not turned and turmoiled through the things of this world anymore. And we know we're safe. We know we abide in the Father's love, not because we think so, but because the spirit bears witness with ours according to the word of what he's called it to be. So anyone born of God refuses To practice sin. Because God's seed abides in him. He cannot go on sinning. Because he has been born of God. By this the children of God are distinguished from the children of the devil. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God. Nor is anyone who does not love his brother. He will know them for their love for one another. And it's not just the emotional feeling love. It's the love that God has dictated. The love that isn't taking accounts of wrongs. Isn't touchy. Isn't offended. Isn't broken and hurt. See, all those things, all that pain, all that brokenness, everything that's going on is outside of walking in the spirit with God. 
Around John 8, 34, it talks about we come into the house of God as a slave to sin. But we will not remain that way or we won't remain in the house of God. That's Jesus talking. The reason why I'm breaking this down like this is because when we read this passage without the understanding and knowledge of what God has called us to we won't comprehend what he's really saying we'll just read through it and go praise God we got the we got life and yeah we don't want a sin that produces death good thing that's not me but we have to really understand what this is really saying because I don't want anybody in here to be able to be going through this life and think that they're okay when scripturally we're not. Because when I was coming around, when I was seeking God, I was still falling. I didn't have this worked out. I was struggling. I was having a hard time. One day God asked me, he goes, would you serve me if there was no hell? Uh-oh. Said, nope. I said, I know that's not the right answer, but that's the only real answer. I said, no, I wouldn't. Why? Because one, sin's easy. Two, it's enjoyable. And three, I was bound by it. It owned me. It had it, been part of my life, part of the way I lived. And so it was a lot easier than trying to die to the flesh and serve God. You know, the scripture says you'll become a slave of righteousness. And I thought at that time, that's impossible. How do you become a slave of righteousness? Because at that, that state, I couldn't comprehend it. But what God did is he then said, would you serve me? Because I want to know you. I want you to know me. And what that did when he asked me that and he said that to me, is it came with the understanding the God of the universe wants to know me. He wants to know me. He wants me to know him. He wants me to have fellowship with him. See, I was looking at it at the time for a beneficial thing for myself to not be going to hell. That's a good reason. That's not, that's not bad. But, but it was still self-serving. I was still in it for just myself instead of Really knowing God. And I wanted to know God, but I, I had things in me that were upside down. And God, through, his, through our walk with him, he will turn the things up, right side up, that we have messed up. As we keep pursuing him. As we don't close our eyes and turn a blind eye to not walking by what we've been called to. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his grace to do this. See, when he came, he forgave us, making us right and righteous with God. But he didn't end it right there. He then gives us his spirit. Because before the law, it's perfect. The only problem with it is us. It was weak because of us. The law isn't gone. It's still there. But he came and he gave us now help to walk the righteous requirements of the law through his spirit. I'll give you an example. If this is his spirit and this right here, right here at this podium, right here is where his spirit and this is where I reside. This is where he's called me to. He said, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I can live in Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. That's where I reside because that's where the Spirit is. But if I come step right here, I'm losing a little bit of peace and I've got some frustrations going on. I've got things that are coming against me. I've got a little record of wrong. I've got these things. Did he leave me? No, he hasn't left anywhere. I left him. I stepped out from, from him. 
We're called to walk in this thing to stay in him. And when we step out of him, that's where we experience the problems. In this place is why you hear we're always going to sin. Because you're living out of a place that's condemned. To be in this place of the spirit. See, the spirit and the flesh, the flesh cannot submit to God. It can't. It's an enmity against God. It can't submit. It has to die. That's why baptism is so important. It's the death of self. Flesh is gone. To be in this holy of holies in the spirit, behind the curtain, the veil had to be torn. The veil of flesh. Got a little wild on that one. (laughs) Or a microphone. The veil of flesh has to be torn off to be in the spirit. The flesh and the spirit do not mix. They can't be in the same place. So when we're functioning in this place, paying attention to walk according to the spirit under his grace. See, grace reigns through righteousness. Grace doesn't cover sin. See, to be under grace, you actually have to be dead. The flesh has to be passed away so that you can live by the spirit where grace reigns through righteousness. It doesn't cover this fallen nature. The fallen nature has been killed and condemned. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And he's made the way so that we can stay in the spirit and live by him. And now it's not I who live, but Christ that live in me. So when we're seeing this, I'm going to read back through 12 through 15 and I'm about done. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. See, we're called to endure. And he's made the way to endure all things. He's given us the possibility to do it. There's no place or reason in a Christian's life not to be able to endure. For when he has been approved, when you've taken the test and you've shown, and your faith in yourself has been purified as though through fire, And to bring glory to God. Our lives are here to bring glory to God. It's not here for, it's not, it's not for benefit of self. It's to bring glory unto God. He will receive the crown of life. There's stipulations to the crown of life that we must follow to receive his life. Which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Touched a lot of scriptures about what it means to love him. It isn't just, I love him, I feel warm and I sing to him and I I pray to him and I do these things. It's to obey him. It's to know him. That's what Jesus came to do is to restore us back to the Father. It's the restoration of what was broken, the fellowship of communion and fellowship. He says we can be one with him. But it's not through the fallen nature and flesh of man. It's through the spirit of what he's been able to do. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one when he is drawn away by his own desires is enticed. Then, he, then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. So, the desire when it hits you can make you play. When it it hits your heart, it will produce that thing to where it will birth sin. Boom. And now you've, you've sinned. Now, if anybody does that, please, please. Don't stay in it. Because that staying in it is what produces death in a Christian's life. And that's not just death of the flesh. It's eternal damnation. We cannot think that our sloppy life, that God just knows, oh, I've struggled with this. You're struggling in it because you're a bondage. You're a slave to sin. And a slave does not reside in the house forever. So please deal with this. Repent. That's why John said he prepared the way. Repent. 
Prepare the way for the kingdom so that you can be born again and live by the Spirit, putting off all things that are under the Spirit. Love. Love is the goal of the instruction. Okay, that's pretty much it, guys. I hope I didn't drown you or knock you around too much, hopefully. I just want to make sure that our path is straight. Because that's a, that's a straight thing when you dive in and di- start dissecting what those things mean. Because as long as we understand what that means to love him and these different things and sin and how this looks and what we're called to live by, we're okay. But when we read this, let's make sure we know what we're talking about when we read it. What this stuff is really telling us so that our feet can be planted firmly upon the foundation. Unshakable by anything of this life. So that we can bring glory to God in that day. And not just have excuses and hurts and wrapped up in this life and how it went for me. And this was wrong, that was wrong. This hurt me and that hurt me. Everybody has that. That's the world. That's not what we've been called to. We have something so much greater. To be one with God. Ditch everything else. Everything that tries to take you from this place. Just keep that in mind. What is the fruit of the Spirit? What is love? The true love. Anything that comes to attack that place in your life, fight it with everything you've got by bowing down and letting your flesh be put off and die so that you can be one and live with God. Because once it is, that's when life begins. Because eternal life is to know Him. So let's reside in the spirit of where He's called us. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your Spirit. Thank you for what you've done and what you've paid for. Thank you for this church body today. God, I ask that you you lay this into their hearts. Wrap it with your love. Let it deep reach deep into them. I ask that you reveal yourself to them. To us. You love us more than we can ever understand. Let us understand a little bit. Give us the glimpse and understanding so that we can be in love and fellowship with you. That all the rest of these things of this world and how they are just go away. Let us keep our eyes single upon you. That we can walk and live with you in fellowship with one in accord how you've how you have made it. I thank you for this in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can you hear me? Oh, okay. Guess you can hear me. Man, I gotta say that was that was a great sermon. And everything I have to say seems so topical after you just made everything so cut and dry, but that was one of the best sermons I've heard in a long time. So thank you for that, Brian. Um get all situated here. So this time of year, it's really hard for a lot of people. The sky is gray, the trees like have no color. Um, it's really cold, it's balmy outside. There's minimal hunting and fishing and there's no baseball. Um, I wanna give everybody some words of encouragement. Um, even if I don't do a very good job of tying this or the homily into communion. Um, but to combat these dark times, 
remember there's a light in you. So if you will turn to Luke 11.33. It's actually the little uh, highlight says the light in you. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. And when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. So um, I got three verses to go. And the next one is Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, put on a stand, and it gives you light to all in the house? In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Um, and the last one is John 1, 1 through 5. So in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word, wo word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. So my point is that Jesus is the light, as is the gospel message. So if you are getting down or another, another person is struggling, um, do your best to give them the good news. Be a vessel. Um, so I'm going to pray for, for us real quick. Dear Lord, thank you for laying down your life for us. Thank you for molding and shaping us into jars of clay. Thank you for giving the light of the gospel to hold and to pour us out onto others. In heaven's name, we pray, amen.
I gotta say, I just love this church. I don't, my family and I wouldn't know where to even go to church if this place didn't exist. There's, there's just not too many churches you find that teach truth and have a unified body where people can come here, learn and grow fellowship and love and truth. Be thankful for that. Let's close in song, okay? Love you guys.